You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be breaking down the results of UFC 244, Masvidal versus Diaz at Madison Square Garden in New York City, as well as previewing the UFC Fight Night Moscow card taking place this upcoming Saturday on November 9th. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. Hey guys, how's everybody doing tonight? Hope everybody's doing well, having a great day, night, whatever time you're listening to this podcast. We've got a lot to go over today. You know how big the card was this uh, this past weekend, obviously. UFC 244 Masvidal versus Diaz for the BMF, Baddest Motherfucker Championship. And Masvidal came out the winner after a third round TKO doctor stoppage. Technically fourth round, but I guess since the fourth round didn't start, it was at the end of the third. But... You know, I know everybody was pissed about the stoppage. They thought that, you know, why why did it get stopped? There's been worse cuts and things like that, and Diaz doesn't really turn it up until the fourth and fifth round anyway. And you know what? I kind of agree with that. I, I do. That's what I felt at first. I'm like, you know, I've seen way worse cuts, and they let the fights go on. I've seen people basically having a pool of blood come out of their face onto the canvas, and they let the fights continue. You got to take into consideration that they're in New York, number one. This is kind of a new sport for New York. They've only had MMA legalized in New York since 2016. And the first MMA event was UFC 205 at Madison Square Garden. So you got to take that into consideration. And they're getting better. You know, at least I thought they were getting better uh, with the doctor stoppages and the weight cuts and everything and how they handle certain situations. You know, we've had a few mishaps in New York before. And this in, this in you know, this particular one, I do feel the fight could have continued. I do feel Nate was able to continue. But it's on, they had to err on the side of caution and, you know, how much bigger would the cut have gotten? Masvidal didn't look like he was getting tired Diaz didn't look that tired either, though. So people can't say, well, Diaz was getting destroyed. You know, who knows what would have happened if it continued for two rounds. He probably would have just kept taking the same beating. It's a possibility. But I like Nate Diaz's cardio, and I feel like even he said it in the post-fight press conference, you know, I was going to wait to turn it up in the later rounds anyway because I didn't have a lot of time to work on my cardio. And I agree with that. I think I think that's probably what was going to happen. But it also could have been just another two rounds of massacre for Jorge Masvidal. And if it would have went to decision, Masvidal was definitely getting the nod in terms of the decision. So even though I don't agree with the decision, I'm not like to stop the fight. I'm not 100% pissed off. They asked Dana White if we were going to get a rematch down the line. And I know he said, uh, no, we're not looking at that right now. So that's probably not what's going to happen. Most likely the winner of Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman at UFC 245 will end up fighting George Masvidal. I know people call him George Jorge Masvidal at, after their fight at UFC 245 or Conor McGregor versus Jorge Masvidal. I, I feel like we're going to get the Nate and Jorge Masvidal rematch I think they know how much money they're going to make with that fight if they do book it again. I don't see it happening until probably February or March because, you know, you got to give them time to give uh, Diaz time to recover. And Masvidal, I would doubt he'd want to hop into another camp. He said he wanted to take a little bit of a break. But I could definitely see them getting booked again. And I wouldn't be mad at it. I think they would have to make it a five-rounder, though. So the thing is, would 
Masvidal put his BMF title on the line, or would it have to be on like a fight night in a main event? They're too big for a fight night. It has to be pay-per-view. So I would venture to say it would probably be a three-rounder, but the 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 right decision would be to make it a five-round fight if they were to fight again. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. Like I said, whenever Nate uh, Dana White says it's not going to happen or there's no way this is what's going to happen, it, it usually happens down the line. He said the same thing about Connor and Nate. I know he said at first, I don't want the rematch. It's not going to happen. But Connor wants it so bad, and he ended up getting the rematch. So, And I remember they were supposed to book it at UFC 200. Then there was that whole fiasco with the fight getting canceled and pulling out because Connor, um, something with Connor, what did he do? He didn't show up to a media day or something, and he pulled out of the fight, said he was retiring. And then he ended up coming back and fighting Nate at two at UFC 202 in Vegas. So, you know, it, it is what it is. And I think we're going to get Nate versus Masvidal again. It was a, cl- it was a clinic from uh, George Masvidal. He did a lot of things right in this fight. He, he loved you throwing that right kick to the body. Every time Nate would kind of step forward, he would throw that jab, loop it into a left hook, and throw that right kick to the body. It dropped Nate a few times. And then whenever Nate would get close up to the fence in the first round when when George Masvidal dropped him, he threw a, uh, I believe it was like a right, a right hand to a looping left hook to another like shot to the body. And then Nate like slumped over like he was going to go for a takedown and Masvidal timed it with a right high, with a right kick and caught Diaz in the head. And um, he was able to not rush in. He, he threw a couple shots and then he stayed on, uh, he stayed with Nate's feet on his hips and was just pulling him, pushing him, you know, grabbing the heel to see if Nate was still there before he came in, but he didn't back up and let him up right away. He kind of played the game a little bit. He stood and stacked guard with him and uh, punched to hit him in the body a few times, moved his legs. Diaz tried to like roll underneath for a couple leg locks. It didn't really work. Diaz covered up. Masvidal ripped some shots to the body. Diaz came on towards the end of the first round. You know, he landed a uh, like a right hook to a straight left hand, like that slapping right hook to the straight left and uh, hurt Masvidal. I mean, not really hurt him, but, you know, stunned him a little bit for a second. And then Masvidal smiled. Second round, it was more the same. You know, Masvidal just staying on the outside and then he would push him up against the fence. There was a lot of clinch fighting in this fight. I think Masvidal probably... I don't know if he wanted to tire out Diaz, but I think he wanted to work the inside game. You know, he was working with uh, Roberto Duran, I heard, in lead up to this fight. And I think you could see it because he was working a lot of, like, shoe shine to the body. Well, that's what they call it in boxing, where you rip, like, the five uppercuts to the body and then come up to the head. He was ripping those shots, those hooks to the body, and those uppercuts to try to take the wind out of Nate. Not too many leg kicks. He did try to throw, he did try to throw that, like, hopping sidekick to the knee against Diaz when he was in his side stance. That was one thing I think, and Diaz does it a lot, but that's one thing I think Diaz needs to stop using is the side stance. And just stands, I don't say, you know, stand straight in front of him and just be a punching bag, but stop standing sideways because now with the elliptical kicks and the side kicks to the knee, it's just going to set you up for more attacks from guys who are, you know, more well-rounded. And that's what, Masvidal did. He threw that sidekick. It like stumbled Nate, and then he he threw like the overhand right into the left hook. 
like I said, Diaz did come on a little bit and uh, stung Nate, stung Masvidal with some punches up against the fence, locked him up into a clinch. There was a point where Masvidal had back control, like the double underhooks on Nate, and Nate grabbed with his, I want to say it was his right hand, and looped around the leg of George Masvidal. I don't remember if it was his left or right leg. I would, I think it was his right leg. So he took his right hand, wrapped around Masvidal's right leg, and then rolled onto his back and swept Masvidal and got on top. And I saw it coming. You know, you could see Nate was trying to set it up. I thought maybe he would have gone for the uh, Kimura grip, like the arm lock, and then where you go like the hand over hand, grab the wrist control, and then roll with the Kimura to get on top or uh, transition into a submission. But Masvidal was very, very – he was extremely prepared to go on the ground too and uh, was able to maintain the back control, punch, get on top in a regular like cl – not closed guard position because I don't think – Nate never really had Masvidal in a full-on closed guard. He was able to keep a lot of the pressure on Nate on the ground and you know throw some good shots. But, you know, they stopped it due to a doctor stoppage, and that's just how these things go. You got to roll with the punches. Nate, you know, he gets hit a lot. He gets cut in almost every single one of his fights just because of how much scar tissue he has. And I know Masvidal wanted to baptize him, you know, finish him like he does to a bunch of other people, but it just didn't work out that way, you know. that That's how these things work. And I, I would say we probably get the rematch, but you never know with MMA. I think in terms of Masvidal's case, if he was offered a fight against the winner of Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington next, I feel like he would take it. And if he was offered a fight against Conor McGregor, I feel like he would take that too. But I hope we do get the Nate rematch. I think that's probably the best option to go right now is book the rematch in like two or three, four months and uh, just let it go like that. Up next, we had the co-main event, obviously. A middleweight bout, Darren Till moving up to 185 pounds in his first fight at middleweight to face the number four ranked Kelvin Gastelum, former challenger to Israel Adesanya for the interim middleweight championship at UFC 236. He went through a war in that fight, you know, back and forth war with Izzy. Stunned Israel, got dropped a bunch of times by Israel, almost you know, basically dropped Israel with when he landed that head kick later on in the fight. I believe it was in the fourth round. And this was a big fight for Darren Till. It was make or break. He needed to win. He needed to look good. He needed to look impressive. Would have probably worked good if he got a finish, but it didn't materialize. But Darren Till fought extremely, extremely intelligent in this fight. He looked like he was back to form, back to the original Darren Till. It reminded me a lot of the approach he took against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson when they fought at the UFC fight night in Liverpool. Oh, was it Liverpool or London? I think it was Liverpool. And, uh, yeah, he had a really good fight against Kelvin Gastelum in this fight. He was constantly, you know, fighting on the outside. He never really rushed in too much during this fight. And whenever Kelvin, since they were both southpaw, excuse me, whew, since they were both southpaw, you know, it was a, uh, it was a little bit of a tough fight for both of them. You know, it was going to be who had more weapons. And I said this in the breakdown, whoever has more weapons is going to win this fight. If it doesn't end via knockout, I, I was fully aware Kelvin could have landed that left hand on Darren Till and knocked him out cold. Darren Till could have landed the left hand on Kelvin and probably knocked him out. But Till fought extremely intelligent. You know, he, he was, he was in that loose stance, 
you know, he didn't really keep his hands up in the, in the open workouts before the fight, he kept his hands up a lot in front of his face to, uh, to like act like he was going to use a conventional block and then throw a knee up the middle. But what Darren Till did, which was really intelligent is he would throw that straight left hand. And then anytime Kelvin would look like he was going to come into range to either throw that looping left hand or that right hook to the overhand left, Darren Till would get in close and clinch him. He would body lock him and uh, push him up against the fence to nullify a lot of Kelvin's attacks because Kelvin was shorter than Till. He knew that he would be he would be ducking down, looking to loop over the top, looking to loop with that right hook to the left hand, and it just didn't work. Darren Till was on the outside. He always kept that lead foot dominance. I always say in an MMA, if you're if you've trained, you know lead foot dominance is really important. Whoever's got their foot on the outside of the opponent's lead foot has the setup for the power shot. And Darren Till was using this a lot. Whenever Kelvin would step forward to try to throw that left hand, Darren Till would cut the angle to the outside to his right and try to throw that straight left down the center, or he would circle off to his left, but he was always out of the range of that left hand. He never circled into Kelvin's left hand. He was always moving towards his right or, uh, yeah, wait. Okay. Hold on. So if he's fighting against Kelvin, Kelvin's a Southpaw too. He was always circling away towards the weak side of Kelvin Gastelum. And whenever Kelvin would get in close, like I said, he would clinch. And and you a lot of the times on the breaks from the clinch, he would throw an elbow. Or if they got in close, he would elbow in the clinch. He would elbow up the middle. He would push him away. He threw a lot of leg kicks in the fight. That was one of the things that slowed down Kelvin a lot. He would throw that outside leg kick. But, 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 whenever Kelvin would try to come into range, he took Kelvin down, you know, with a sweep. Um, Kelvin tried to land a few body kicks. Darren Till caught the kick at one point. I believe this was in the third round. No, I think this was second round. He caught the kick in the second round, picked it up, like lifted it under the heel above Kelvin's head to to push him against the fence and take him down. That was actually in the third round. He grabbed the kick, pushed it up, and just pushed him down on the ground and tried to get top control. It didn't work. In the second round, Kelvin threw the kick. He caught the kick, pushed him up against the fence, and threw that left elbow which looked to catch Kelvin a little bit as he was trying to exit. But Darren Till just fought extremely intelligently. He fought like a seasoned veteran, a seasoned kickboxer, and just kept Kelvin on the, at the edge of all of his punches and stayed out of range of everything Kelvin looked to land. Kelvin did get two takedowns in the third round. The one, though, the one takedown he got, Darren Till immediately turned onto his knees to try to get up. Kelvin was able to control the position for a few seconds, so that's probably the one that they credited him with with the takedown and Kelvin Gastelum again looked to take him down and Darren Till used like that, that I want to say butterfly guard, but it wasn't a butterfly guard, but he used that hook to uh, kick up Kelvin Gastelum's legs as they hit the ground and then used it, used it to elevate him over with that overhook, get up and get back up to his feet. Just an amazing performance from Darren Till all the way around to come in to the middleweight division in your first fight in the UFC or your first fight at middleweight. I don't even, I don't know if he competed at middleweight in other promotions, but he looked amazing. He looked, he looked refreshed. He looked big. He looked powerful. He landed that left hand a lot on Kelvin Gastelum, just bop right down the center. He looked to be the quicker fighter and just the stronger guy all the way around. And it puts him in a really good spot now. And it, it's going to be who is Darren Till going to fight next? He'll probably be ranked, you know, number five or number six in the middleweight division now. 
after you beat a guy who just fought Israel Adesanya in his last fight. I know he's looking to get a fight against Israel. I would love to see a fight against Israel Adesanya and Darren Till. If you do not, I check your pulse because I don't know what else you would want. That's probably one of the best fights you could have in the middleweight division would be a fight between Israel Adesanya and Darren Till, two of the best strikers in the UFC going up against each other for the middleweight championship. Come on. I don't think he gets that that fight, however. I think he gets one more fight. And if I had to venture to guess, I would say that Israel Adesanya is more than likely going to be fighting Yoel Romero. They've had a few back and forths on, online, and it looks like that's what they're looking to set up. That's an amazing fight. I can't wait to see it. That's a tough fight for Israel, but I think he can pull it off just with how defensively minded and how much how much better his striking is than than uh, Yoel Romero. I think he would be able to control the distance and not let Romero engage in a lot of wrestling techniques. But I think the best fight for Darren Till would be to go up against Robert Whitaker. I think Whitaker versus Till in maybe March or April would be a, an amazing fight. But, you know, I know Till said in the uh, post-fight press conference that he had uh, a knee injury that's been nagging him for a long time, and he was probably going to look to get that looked at and taken care of. So Till might be out for a long time. You never know, depending on the severity of the knee injury. I, I don't think he said that something tore. I, I don't think anything in his knee is torn. It didn't look like either of his knees were buckling as he was moving. I mean, he could have just played it off, but usually if you get tore something in your knee, you know, your knee's going to buckle. It's going to, it's going to lock up a few times. It's going to move. And it didn't look like it was that severe. Hopefully not. But I would say that that's a good fight for him next is Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till in the middleweight division. Then the winner of that can fight the winner of Israel Adesanya and Yoel Romero if that's the direction that the UFC is looking to go in. I like Till's I like Till's chances against Robert Whitaker. It's a tough fight for both guys, but I think Till's fight IQ and just his striking acumen and how good he is at managing range and distance, I think he would be able to probably knock out Robert Whitaker. I know Whitaker has more power. If he lands on on Darren Till's chin, I definitely think he could knock him out. I don't know who would be the faster fighter in that in that case. You know, Darren Till looked extremely fast against Kelvin, and I think Kelvin was one of the fastest guys in the middleweight division in terms of his hand speed. I think he had the fastest hands in the UFC aside from Israel. You know, but Israel isn't really about the speed; it's just about aiming down the center and clean technique. Bop, bop, no wasted movement. And that's what makes Izzy so good. But I, I would venture to say that Whitaker could definitely knock out Till if they were to fight. But I like Darren Till's chances. If the, the guy who showed up against Kelvin Gastelum, if he gets a little bit more of his confidence back and, and throws a little bit more shots, I would love it. And I know a lot of people were crapping all over this fight saying, oh, this fight sucked. You know, there was barely any action. But if you're a fan of mixed martial arts and a fan of technical striking and chess battles type of fights, you'll love the fight. And I don't know how you wouldn't love it anyway. It was a really good matchup. Um, I know the judges scored at 30-27 till, 30-27 Gastelum. No, 29-28 till, 30-27 Gastelum. And then 30-27 Till. Whoever scored that fight 30-27 for Kelvin Gastelum was absolutely out of their mind. I could see them giving the third round to Kelvin just due to the takedown that he got. And he was able to have a little bit more success. But he barely touched Darren Till throughout the whole fight. Till was in control of the range throughout the whole fight. Was landing shots on Kelvin. Landed leg kicks. Landed knees up the middle. Elbows on the break from the clinch. And Darren Till looked amazing. And I can't wait to see what's next for him.
Up next, let's talk about the fight in the welterweight division between Vicente Luque and Steven Wonderboy Thompson. This was definitely the fight of the night in terms of action. Both these guys came out to win. I thought that Vincent, Vicente Luque looked amazing in the first round. I think he fought exactly how he needed to fight. I said in my breakdown prior that he should go for uh, the calf kicks. The calf kicks against Wonderboy would seem to would work against him to slow him down, especially if he fought in that side stance, karate stance, like he always does. If you're able to, to low kick the calf, it would slow down a little bit of his movement. And that worked for Vicente Luque in the beginning in the, of the fight. The fight started, he came out, he switched from uh, regular stance, right hand and back to the right hand and front, left hand and back, and then switched back to regular orthodox. And he was throwing that, that outside leg kick, just bop, bop, bop off the lead leg and off the rear leg, but those calf kicks were working. Whenever he got Wonder Boy up against the fence in the first round, he threw that overhand right, tried to throw that left hook as he came in. He countered some of Wonder Boy's shots with that right hand down the middle, come around with the left hook. Um, the, the most success that Vicente Luque had in the entire fight was the low kicks, and then whenever he got close to Wonder Boy against the fence, he was able to close off the distance in the first round and land that left hook. As Wonder Boy was circling away in the southpaw stance, since Wonder Boy switches, you know, orthodox to southpaw, he's never in a regular stance. Usually he'll switch with that right hook. So now he's in a southpaw and then he'll throw that right side kick down the middle. He did this against Vicente Luque in the second and third round and it worked. It worked well for him. You know, and, and Wonder Boy looked very good in the fight too. Wonder Boy, again, like I said, would throw that switch right hook. He would switch stance from uh, orthodox southpaw and fire that straight left hand down the center. That was catching Luque a lot during the fight. He threw a couple roundhouse kicks to the body. He did a combination where he threw like a like a one, two, three, cut the angle off and threw a kick to the body of Luque. That landed good for him. But it was the straight punches of Steven Thompson that did a lot of the damage. Um, whenever they were in, you know, close, not when they were in close range, I would say close range, it, it, it favored Vicente Luque, especially for the first round. I gave the first round to Luque. I thought Luque did more damage. I thought he controlled the pace a little bit more and pushed Wonderboy back. And then I gave the last two rounds to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I'm not mad at it. You know, I picked Luque to win. I think Luque could have definitely got the job done here. But I think Steven Thompson was just on another level tonight. And he got, or on that night, I'm sorry. At 244, he was on another level. He got back to form. He looked better. He looked like he threw more weapons in this fight than his last few, even the one against Darren Till. He was switching stances a lot more. He was switching to throw that straight left down the center, the right hook, the right high kick, the right kick to the body, the one, two, three right kick, one, two, three left kick from both stances to the body and to the leg. He did try to throw a spinning hook kick to the head. It caught Luque on the guard uh, during the second round, I believe. But yeah, it was a good fight. And like I said, Luque had the right idea in that first round. Push Wonderboy back, attack the low kick a lot to try to stifle the movement and the in and out movement of him. Whenever he goes to circle off with that right jab, Throw that left hook as he's circling away, or, or if he circles towards your opposite stance throw, or your opposite side towards your power hand, throw that left hook to the overhand right, right hand, overhand right to the left hook, get him up against the fence. And they both fought a great fight, but Wonderboy definitely landed more shots and uh, was dictating the pace for that second and third round without a doubt. Dropped Luque with a... I don't remember the exact combination. I believe this is where he landed the... Uh, he was in a regular stance left foot in front, right foot in back. He switched with that right hook to go to southpaw. 
Then he threw that right side kick down the middle, and it caught Luke, knocked him off balance, dropped him. Luke got back up. He stayed in the uh, southpaw stance, so the right leg was still in front. He didn't switch back to uh, orthodox. And then he threw a straight left hand down the center and just rocked Vicente Luque. Just boom! And you saw him, just his legs go, and he stumbled, and he fell back. But uh, Luque was able to recover. He covered up. He uh, got up to his elbow, tried to grab a single leg takedown against Wonderboy, and uh, Wonderboy was able to stop it. And then Vicente Luque got back up to his feet. Luque definitely took more damage, but man, he is a gamer, and I would love to see him up against another top contender. Maybe Santiago Ponzinibbio, but we don't know if he's ever coming back. He obviously beat Mike Perry already. Um, maybe you give Vicente Luque. He'll obviously need a lot of time off, I think, after this fight. He got cut up, got hit a lot. But I would definitely venture to say that he is probably going to fight... I, I honestly like the Leon Edwards and Vicente Luque fight. I think that would be an amazing matchup, you know, two strikers. But it might look a little bit like the Wonder Boy and uh, and and uh, Luque fight. Obviously, it could look a lot a lot the same just because of the the styles of fights that they work. If I was booking fights right now, I would give Stephen Thompson a fight against Leon Edwards. If Edwards doesn't get a title shot, give Edwards to Stephen Thompson. Even though he doesn't deserve to be up towards top contention yet coming off those losses, I think that would be an amazing fight for the fans and definitely one that we would want to see would be Vincent, uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Leon Rocky Edwards. For a guy like um, for a guy like Vicente Luque coming off this loss, obviously he took a big step up in competition. But let's look at the rankings really quick and we can decide who he could fight next. For Luke, I could see uh, Leon Edwards and Tyron Woodley having a fight. I think that'd be probably the best fight to make for um, the best fight to make for Leon Edwards because you know it's it's up towards the top of the division. It's a former champion. If you're not going to wait for a rematch, so let's see, let's see for. Ugh, this is a tough fight to make for Luke next. I would say give Luke. Oh man, give Vincente Luke a fight against. Let's go RDA. I think Rafael Dos Anjos versus Vicente Luque would be a good fight for him. Obviously, RDA is coming off a win in his last fight, or against Kevin Lee. Or no, okay, I think he beat Kevin Lee and then lost to uh, Leon Rocky Edwards. I could be wrong, but I would say give RDA the fight against um, Vicente Luque. I think they would put on a great fight. I think with the technical and just professionalism that Rafael Dos Anjos fights with and the push forward, kickboxer, boxing style, getting close and rough you up, throw kicks on the outside of Vicente Luque, I think that would be the best fight. But, uh, yeah, I would say he's coming off a loss, RDA to Leon Edwards. Vicente Luque's coming off a loss. I say wait a little bit longer. Maybe book the fight in, like, May or June and give us RDA versus Vicente Luque in the welterweight division. I think that's the best way to go about it. And then let's do Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus 
not Leon Edwards because I think Leon wouldn't take that fight. I think it'd be an amazing fight for the fans, but I don't think he would take it. So I would say probably Leon Edwards versus Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman, obviously. Vicente Luque versus RDA and um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Like I said, I like the Leon Edwards fight, but I don't know. Maybe Ponzinibbio when he comes back or... I would not Ben Askren. You can't give him Askren because Askren just came off a loss. Maybe that's what you do do. Maybe you give uh, Stephen Thompson Ben Askren. And if not him, then I guess you could give him Damian Maya. I, I don't think that would be an amazing fight for the fans, but it, there's really nowhere for uh, Wonder Boy to go right now except up, and there's a lot of matches that could be already in the works. But yeah, that's going to be it for this first part. I'm going to break it down in the second part because I got a lot more to talk about. And I'll catch you on the second part of the podcast, guys. All right. See you later.